Greetings. I hope that this week has treated you well. On this episode of On the Nose, I wanted to continue in the vein of my last podcast, which I called a dump cast because it was pretty personal venting. Um, But it's also really real stuff that a lot of people have to deal with. Um, There's a lot of people dealing with a lot worse. And it's, you know, it's my reality. So I decided I was going to just keep it and put it out there. Um, But I wanted to talk about the cost of being sick and what that's like, what the process is like. There's no way that I can get all of the details in 30 minutes. Um, there's just there's just so much of it, but I'm gonna do my best to kind of paint a picture of what that process is like. I know that there are a fair amount of people who listen to my podcast and follow me on TikTok and stuff that also have chronic health issues and are familiar with this, but you know, my hope is that it won't feel boring or redundant for those people and that it might be informative for people who aren't familiar with it. So there's the cost of getting health care, which anybody that's been to the doctor is aware of, you know, co-pays, dealing with insurance companies. A lot of times the insurance will deny things just to try to get away with not having to pay for something. Because a person has to, you know, stand up for themselves and be like, hey, actually, I think this is supposed to be covered. And there's a lot of people who don't know how to do that or don't do that or don't question it. And insurance companies make a lot of money off of those people. Do I think that sometimes insurance companies make actual mistakes? Sure, but I don't think that that's the norm. So when I was younger... I usually did not have health insurance, so I wasn't really able to go to doctors. I usually went to clinics for whatever county I lived in, and that would be like a low-cost medical situation. Um, And those doctors are usually very nice, but they're also very, very slammed, and they don't have access to like tools and options. And then they're also dealing with patients who might be able to get in to see them, but then still don't have the insurance that pays for the thing that the doctor knows that the patient needs. So throughout those years, I had all of these issues, pain issues and issues with, I have a metabolic disorder called PCOS and you know I couldn't really get care for that. I was going to the library, because this is before there were general search engines or whatever, that I would, this was a time before internet search engines. So I would go to the library to look things up to learn about the health conditions and the health issues that I had. It wasn't the most useful, but I often got more information than I did for my doctors. You know, I learned how to eat for PCOS that way. Um, And once there were search engines, slowly, slowly over time, there was like much more information. And as I mentioned before, I basically learned to manage and navigate my health issues by collecting my own information. But it also means that I had issues that never really got treated that if they had been, wouldn't have ended up being as serious. 
A good example of this is in 2005, I was having severe issues with my hands and my wrists because I was working a lot and I was working in um, a conference room. So I didn't have ergonomic setup. It got to the point that I could like barely move my fingers. I ended up going to the doctor for it and they told me to file a workers' comp case. Um, I didn't know the workers' comp at that point had basically become a joke. And unless you broke a bone, you weren't going to get help. And the way that it worked, because I had health insurance, I could keep going to the doctor and get care through my health insurance. And then when workers' comp kicked in, they would negotiate with each other to get things covered. And then workers' comp would take over. However... Within a month of me filing a workers' comp case, I was laid off and lost my health insurance. And so I didn't have insurance. And workers' comp, at the time, due to, due to, I can get this out of my mouth, due to law changes put in place by Schwarzenegger, who was governor at the time, workers' comp companies weren't even required to respond when somebody filed a claim. So I went over a year without any kind of treatment for my RSI. Mind you, the initial test that I got when I still had health insurance showed that I had carpal tunnel on both sides and then that I needed physical therapy and all of that stuff. And I got three free physical therapy visits And they do that because they expect that they're going to get a whole bunch more when workers' comp comes through. And I actually started to feel better after the third visit, but then there weren't any more. And then there was no coverage, and so I didn't get any more. And a year later, they finally responded. By this point, I had gotten an attorney. But also by this point the care that I received no longer helped. The issue had become basically permanent. It had changed. I did my own stuff at home, but I was not able to do the hands-on stuff and like the ultrasound for inflammation and all that. And I spent the next several years fighting with workers' comp to try to get some kind of treatment that maybe might make a difference. I did end up getting surgery Uh, where they removed scar tissue from my wrist, which did help some of the pain. And the doctor was like, that's the most scar tissue I've ever seen, just crammed into a joint. And that was based on what the doctor through workers' comp had said that I needed. And then he changed his mind about my left wrist, so my left wrist never got treatment. And then because the pain wasn't getting better, the doctors told me that it was basically in my head and started trying to give me medications like amitriptyline, which messed me up really bad. Like amitriptyline did did terrible things. It took me six months of taking antidepressants to fix the damage that that medication did. And during this time, I was not working. I was in too much pain to do anything. And, you know, was getting like a stipend that ultimately I had to pay back. So I was living on $800 a month while I had a kid living in San Jose. So I did a lot of under the table work and I racked up a lot of debt. I think I had 
like $28,000 in debt after a couple of years. And when workers' comp and I finally settled, I got about that much money. So I was able to pay my debt off, but I had nothing left. And at that point, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go back to work and I will just figure out accommodations and be in pain. And I had figured out that if I used voice recognition, that it helped my pain significantly. Unfortunately, the job that I ended up getting did not allow me to use accommodations, which is illegal. I even have a disability rating for my arm issues, but... It was that kind of work environment. That's a different episode. I'm not even going to get into the cost of going to see doctors that don't take me seriously, like having to pay for bullshit doctors. I'm just focusing more on like, you know. So I got sick in 2013 and I had health insurance and When I went on medical leave, I then had COBRA, which I paid for. And by the time I decided to, that I wasn't going back to work. So it was like one year of medical leave. So I was sick for a year and then one year of medical leave. And at that point they let me go. And then I didn't, I think I still had COBRA after that, but I couldn't afford it. So I got state disability and then I got Medi-Cal. And I was like $40 over the cutoff for the really low income stuff. So then it ended up costing me a bunch of money to have insurance through the state. And by this time I had racked up about $40,000 in medical debt. Mind you, this is dealing with doctors who for the most part weren't even taking me seriously. But, you know, the ER trips, I did get uh, endoscopy. I think I got a colonoscopy as well and gastric emptying test, a lot of blood work. And then when I was on the state stuff through the marketplace, uh, I had Anthem. And it ends up that Anthem hadn't really contracted with any doctors in the area yet uh, for the marketplace insurance. They were contracted through like private insurance. And when you search on their website for doctors and stuff, it shows that those doctors are covered and in network, but in actuality, they were not. So I spent a year stuck with insurance that didn't really cover anybody in my area. There was apparently a lawsuit against them for this, but I don't, I don't remember hearing like what happened with it or whatever. So I was paying out of pocket. I was paying out of network. And so, you know, this is three years into my illness. At this point, I'm starting to rent rooms out in my house, which is its own cost, wear and tear, plus stress. Uh, It made me sicker having people in the house. I feel like I'm like heavy on the sibilance today. Sibilance. I'm sorry if I am. And I wasn't bringing in enough money. I didn't have um, disability yet. 
I was waiting. I waited a year to get into Stanford. I was on a wait list. So they have a six-month wait list to get an appointment that's six months out. And once I got the diagnosis for chronic fatigue syndrome, then I was able to seriously apply for Social Security. I had already applied, but I had been denied because I didn't have anything really on record that would make them happy. Uh, So second time around, I had the diagnosis from Stanford and I got an attorney and we went through that whole thing. And that was like another year and change. So we're like now four years into my illness and I have been paying cash to go to Stanford, $800 a visit for an hour with a specialist. And they hook me up with a cash discount. So it's $400. And I'm looking at my situation and I'm like, I can't pay my bills. I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage if I keep paying my bills. So I ended up filing for bankruptcy. And at this point, I was $70,000 in debt. I had a car that I had gotten for $500 because I had sold the car before to help pay for my medical debt um, and to make sure that I didn't have any like car bills because I had a, a leased car that I I knew what was coming. I knew that I was going to end up having to get rid of it. So I bought it from them knowing that I could sell it and get a couple grand. And then I had like sold everything. I had tried doing GoFundMe and I did get donations from a couple of people. One person gave me a quite hefty donation. But for the most part, I had no luck getting traction. It's a lot like my shop stuff has been where I can't get people to share it or whatever. Um, I would even send the GoFundMe to people directly and they wouldn't share it. And it, that was hard because I really, I really needed the help. Um, so what ended up happening is people gave me stuff to sell, like stuff that they, they were either going to sell or they were just going to get rid of. And I had stacks of boxes of things to go through and organize and take pictures of and then list online and sell. And it was a lot of work. And I was so sick that I usually could not sit upright. And yet I was supposed to do all of this work so that I could earn $5 here, $10 there, $2 there. You know, I, I did the math on the time that I put into this well-meaning gesture from others. And um, I earned about a dollar an hour when you look at how much I earned and how much time it took for me to do all of that work. And it made me sick because I was supposed to be resting. So I would sell a couple of things. I would do the work to get a couple of things ready. And then just be trashed for weeks. And then I would do it again and be trashed for weeks. Also like got like 30 bucks or something each time. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm just sitting here like shaking my head. I, it took me years to figure out that I should be mad about that. That when I asked for help, people told me that I needed to work for it, even though I've been working my entire life. (laughs) Like, you know, okay, thanks. 
unfortunately, you know, it's just the people that did that, they meant well. They just don't understand. They don't understand what it's like to have chronic fatigue syndrome and to have your body not work. So, you know, good intentions and all that. But, you know, ultimately the impact matters more than the intention. And I have learned to look for the unhelpful help and be like, no, that's not going to help me and here's why instead of just feeling obligated to accept whatever people give me, you know, just, I'm learning not to do that anymore. So when I finally got approved for social security, I did get back pay and was able to pay for things, uh, including a roof, which my house desperately needed. I went through bankruptcy, which made my life significantly easier. I didn't even feel bad about it. I didn't have a lot of credit card debt that was the result of like, say, going shopping or something. There wasn't, it really was just medical expenses. So once I got social security, I got my back pay, I was able to put money into getting a more reliable car because the car I had had a, a blown head gasket. I had bought it that way um, because it's what I could afford. As well as a car that isn't physically painful for me to be in. Like uh, the common the common size car with the common sitting position, like, like a Honda Civic or whatever hurts my hips like a lot. I do better in like a sports car where I'm down lower and my leg is a little bit straighter. So Social Security helped a lot. It wasn't enough for me to, say, not be able to rent rooms out in my house. I still had to have tenants. But I then had Medicare, so I was able to go to Stanford and have it covered and pay a, you know, a 30% or 20% copay instead of just paying cash to see those doctors. And getting social security was like a whole thing. Like it took years. It was like, I think three years, just about from the date of when I applied to when I finally got it. And I know people that it took even longer for them. Me having a diagnosis from Stanford was really helpful and also having a really good attorney. Like if you're signing up, for social security, when you get denied, I, I highly recommend getting an attorney. Yes, it costs money, but there's a max amount that they're allowed to take. So, you know, you're not like losing half of it. You lose like a small chunk of it and they're totally worth it. We had a hearing and I had to go to court and she made sure that they had a like, I'm struggling to find the word. It's a person who specializes in occupational stuff. And basically they went over my limitations and then he went through like different jobs and was like, yeah, there's nothing that she can do based on these limitations. There isn't a job that's equivalent to the job that she used to do because that's what they look at. They don't just, you know, like there's this conception, oh, they're going to be like, saying that I have to go work at a gas station or whatever. No, they look at jobs that are equivalent in terms of pay and skill set, and they go, can you work within what you're familiar doing? 
And he he was like, yeah, no, she can't do that. And at this point during the hearing, I had laid down on the floor because I could no longer sit upright and feel like I could breathe. And he couldn't see that, but the judge could see that. It was very embarrassing and I kept apologizing, but it's what I had to do. My my attorney loved it. She was upset when I showed up and I had showered and taken care of myself. She's like, no, you look too good. They're going to think you can take care of yourself. And I'm like, trust me. <laughs> like, I'm going to poop out partway through this because I took a shower. So Stanford has a program that if you're under if your income's under a certain amount you can get a break on your medical expenses my income's low enough that i don't have to pay anything so i try to do everything within the stanford network because it's basically free to me and i just have to pay for my medications my medications are a fair amount of money i think i pay about 100 dollars a month for my medications which could be a lot worse but it's still a lot when you don't have enough so the area that I live, extremely low income is considered 50000 a year, which in some areas, that's a lot of money. But here, 50000 is with the way that rent is and stuff like that. It's, it's not a lot, especially if there's multiple people in your family. My income is 19500 a year. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it, if I was smarter, maybe I would move to a different state, but I'm not willing to move away from my doctors that I worked so hard to get. It took me so many years, basically my entire life to get doctors that take me seriously and listen to me and respect my knowledge and respect my experience. And I'm not willing to move away from that. I'm also not willing to move away from my son. And I guess we could say that like the cost of living here is another cost of the health issues because I wouldn't feel as tied down to this place if it wasn't for my doctors. And I think that's a real struggle. The more rural the area and the more affordable the area, it seems like, the less likely it is that there's going to be good doctors. I'm sure that there are some very affordable places that have good doctors, but it seems like, generally speaking, the really major well-known doctor center places, because I can't find the word now, so I'm just going to say doctor center places, um, are in more heavily populated, hence more expensive areas. And it is my hope that I will get to a point that I'm stable enough that I can move away, you know, like maybe at a time when my son is ready to also move away because, yeah, but I kind of kind of losing my, my track of my train, my train of thought, my track of thought. So I've done all this talking kind of about the experience, and I feel like it doesn't really capture the experience. Like I kind of overviewed it where it almost sounds easy, but it wasn't easy. There were years of struggle in between like every modest step forward, you know, like every time I got a good doctor, there were so many bad doctors. 
And when I got a break, like when I got state disability, and then later when I got the other disability, these were all things that required like a lot of work to get a lot of work when I was too sick to do anything. You know, like I remember driving around to all of my doctors to get printouts of my records so that I could scan them and organize them for my attorney. And it just was like, I was too sick to drive. So then it's like finding somebody that can drive me. And then it's like standing around um, while being curled up in a corner at the doctor's office waiting for them to actually print out the thing that they said that they were gonna have ready. And just, I mean, it's just so many things that went into it. You know, like if you were to look at disability as being a payment for a job, like say they're paying us to take care of ourselves, then they're paying pennies per hour, you know, because being sick is a full-time job. It's a full-time job in the way that being a stay-home parent to kids that you homeschool is a full-time job. You know, it's all the time. It's not 40 hours a week. It's all the freaking time. And there's the emotional energy tax that comes from having to advocate for yourself all the time and always having to plan these things out and like figure out what to do next and how to keep your shit together when things don't work out and you have to start over and do it again. I mean, I feel so fragile after all of this. You know, it's like, yeah, I have all this information and I have all of this experience so maybe I should be confident and strong, but it, I feel the opposite. I feel so worn down and fragile that like, like I got a notification that I needed to go see a doctor so that they could verify that I still need disability. And it freaked me out. Like I was a hot mess because I didn't want to have to go through all this again. And like, if I lost my, my benefits, I would lose everything. You know, and my attorney was like, no, 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 this is just standard. They're, they're not gonna take your benefits away. This is just something that they do. And it was fine, everything turned out fine, but I have this fragility in me now where, you know, the stability that I have in my life just feels not that stable. I mean, it's, it is, but it's not. I just feel constantly under threat that I, you know, I'm going to lose stuff. And I know that that comes from the fact that I'm not well enough to just go get a job, you know, because like if shit hits the fan and you're a healthy person, you can like worst case scenario it and go get a job at McDonald's to make ends meet. You know, you can go mow some lawns or whatever, you know, do some DoorDash, whatever it is, but I can't do those things. And so if I lose this thing, I don't have anything else. And that's terrifying. And I'm so tired and I'm so burnt out that I don't feel like I have anything left to fight with. So like that would be, you know, that would be awful. And that that's a real cost. And I think like people forget, maybe they don't forget, maybe they don't know in the first place to be able to forget. 
but people don't acknowledge, there we go. People don't acknowledge the emotional and mental tax, the cost of being in this situation, living in a disabled body, fighting a system that just wants us to die. Because let's be real, if they wanted us to live, if they wanted us to thrive and experience being human beings in a meaningful way, they would give us enough to do that. But they give us just enough that like the country doesn't get in trouble for being inhumane. Just going through it, every new doctor, every time a doctor tells you you're full of shit, the doctors that are like, just keep smiling. You know, it just, it's a lot. And there's nowhere to put it. So it just sits on the inside and it festers and shreds, shreds us, you know? And I say us because I I know I'm not alone in this. I like, I don't know how many doctor's appointments I left and I went to the car and I just cried because I felt so helpless. I felt, you know, I resented being reliant on these people who were not listening. Like, why can't I be in control of my own body? Why can't I be heard and be believed? You know, and why do I have to fight so hard to be given a stipend that I paid into and it's not enough? And there are so many of us, and thanks to COVID, there are so many more joining the ranks. And yeah. I would do just about anything to have my health back. So I wouldn't have to deal with this anymore, the system. So I wouldn't have to feel trapped, you know, feel helpless and stuff. And I know that I am not alone in that. I think there are people out there that think that disabled people are lazy or whatever, but my therapist can vouch I do more than a lot of healthy-bodied people every day because of all the self-care stuff that I do, all the learning that I have done, and then all the things that I do for my mental health, like this podcast and yeah I would much rather just be able to get up and go to work or start my own business or you know just be able to like dive into something where I'm just doing it every day and I get to feel productive you know and I'm really grateful that I can do that at all, that I can do this, that I can do my shop stuff because I was too sick for a really long time to be able to do that. And my entire life at that point was just survival. And it made me feel so flat and so small and so meaningless and pointless. And now that I can do a little bit more, I feel like I have shape. I feel like a person. 
I still don't totally know who I am, but I feel more like a person than I did for a really long time. You know, even before 2013, basically starting when the the stuff with my arms started because I I lost so much uh, with the arm stuff, which by the way, was partially due to injury to nerves in my neck, which I figured out on my own a couple of years ago, but it took over a decade to figure that out. And that was because I got hit by a car by a negligent driver. But I gave up a lot of my hobbies after that and lost my sense of self. Like I just, I literally just felt like less than because of what was a disability that I wasn't yet calling a disability. And then after I got sick and had the brain fog and stuff like that, it was just like, I mean, I felt embarrassed to be around other people. I didn't show it, but I did. I felt embarrassed because I didn't, like, what was I going to tell them? Oh, I, you know, I spent the last month researching gastroparesis and blah, 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 and all this stuff, you know, like, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it feels better to be doing things that when I talk to people sound a little bit more normal. And it gives me something to talk about because as I mentioned before, when I tell people that I have health issues, they get all kind of weird and like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm not a big fan of that. So another cost is the social and the belonging part of being human. Because just being different is expensive socially, but being disabled is a whole whole freaking thing, you know, because of the way that people perceive it and the way that people feel about it because we've been raised to think about it that way. But one of the good things is the community, people I've met. I didn't have much in the way of like supportive people in my life until I met other people that also qualify as Spoonies And it's like the people who have lost the most are the people that have the most to give. Even if technically they don't have a lot to give, it's like they know. They know what it's like. And so they know what to do. Because all the people I know that are like really healthy and stuff, they are not really there. You know, there's a few people that are definite exceptions, but they have other things like mental health or whatever. They have things that help give them perspective. Um, But, you know, the friends that I know that are really just like super healthy, physically going out, doing really physical things and they're making good money and all that, they're completely checked out, you know? And it's fascinating. It's also unfortunate But I'm personally very grateful for the connections that I've made and the people that I've met because they're a far better caliber of people than who I kept in my life before all of this. You know, and there was always just something missing in my connections. And I feel like I get more of what it was that I needed, you know, people that 
are just more present and pay attention and give a shit. I really hope that this came across like what I was hoping. I'm going to have to come back and listen to it to be sure. But yeah, I, I, I wanted to end this not on like a negative note because this is some, some heavy shit, right? But I don't really know how to do that because it's just some heavy shit. So if you made it this far, I appreciate you. And I want to say thank you to my patrons because as I've said before, and I'm going to keep saying it, you're amazing. And I could not do any of this without you. And you can't see me, but my head was like all over the place. Um, And I'm really grateful to have a place to talk and share. So yeah, I hope you have a good weekend.